prophecy is a facet of the fast-growing charismatic Christian movement which has an estimated half billion followers worldwide. All around people are making the observation that Christian prophets are on the rise. In light of Christ's warning that many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, how are we to tell a true prophet from a false one? Join us on this podcast as we look at the biblical test of a true prophet. I'd like to begin with a text that we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, and we'll read verse 21 as well. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, Despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. While it is true that there would be false prophets in the last days, there are several texts that point to the true gift of prophecy being exercised in the last days. You see, Jesus did not just warn us about false prophets coming. Instead, he also shows us in his word that there would be the true gift of prophecy exercised in the last days. And I know those are not popular texts, and so we will examine some of them. In Acts chapter 2, verse 16 through 21, and just to give you a background of the text, here, Peter is repeating a prophecy that was made by Joel. When you read uh, the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28, and Peter is repeating this prophecy because it has another fulfillment in the last days. And so Peter says in Acts chapter 2, I'll read from verse 17 through 18, And it shall come to pass, Peter says, In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So here we see Peter saying, In the last days there would be people, sons and daughters, not just men, but also women, who would prophesy. Now, another text that will be good for us to consider is in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. The Bible says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman. The dragon here is Satan. You read verse 9. And the woman is a representation of the church. So the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the Bible shows us that down in the last days, because it speaks of the remnant of the seed of the woman. So God's church in the last days would be characterized by two key characteristics. One, they would keep the commandments of God, and that is the Ten Commandments. And two, they would have the testimony of Jesus Christ. What is the testimony of Jesus Christ? If you would just flip a few pages and get to chapter 19, um, and we will read verse 10. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. The Bible says, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we see the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
Maybe some may not be familiar with that phrase, the spirit of prophecy. Consider chapter 22 and verse 9. In chapter 22, verse 9, John again is about to worship this angel, and the angel repeats the same thing, and he says, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren. This time around, he doesn't say that have the testimony of Jesus, but he says, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. So, simply the testimony of Jesus refers to the gift of prophecy. So the Bible shows us that in the last days, God's true church would be characterized by keeping the Ten Commandments, and number two, by having the gift of prophecy. They would have a prophet. So here we have on one side, the Bible showing us that there would be the true gift of prophecy exercised in the last days. And on the other end, Jesus repeats and he says time and again, um, you know, beware of false prophets. And so it's very important for each one of us, for every Bible-believing Christian, to understand how can I tell a true prophet from a false one, lest we despise prophesyings. When you read in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Jesus Christ warned us to beware of false prophets. When you read in Matthew 7 and verse 15, the Bible says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Again, when you read in the eschatological chapter of Matthew 24, Christ bids us to take heed lest we be deceived. And two times in the same chapter, when he warns against deception, it's in connection to false prophets. When you read in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, um, and verse 24, when you read verse 11, the Bible says, And many false prophets shall rise. And shall deceive many. Verse 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall shew great signs and wonders, in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So we see there are going to be false prophets, and we also see there's going to be the true gift of prophecy. So how can we tell the true from the false? How else can we take heed, according to Christ's instruction, if not by testing every spirit? You see, the devil works just like God. And what I mean by this is that the devil is the master counterfeiter. You see, the only reason as to why the Bible speaks of the true light, the true laws, the true vine, the true bread, the true God, is because in all of this, Satan produces a counterfeit, which is the false. And so we ought to understand how we can tell the true from the false, because Many a times, the false may lie so closely to the true, such that you cannot tell the difference except by the biblical tests. Some may suggest that it's of no need to test the spirits as long as one comes in the name of the Lord. But you see, Jesus said, many in the last days would say, you know, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do that? But Jesus will say, get away, I did not know you. So it's not just enough if someone comes in the name of Jesus. We cannot disregard prophesying simply because we don't know how to distinguish the true from the false. Shall we believe every spirit as long as they claim to be of God? The answer is no. The question we should ask is, what do the scriptures say? I'd like you to consider the text we opened with. Paul clearly admonishes us not to despise prophesying. 
In other words, if someone claims to be a prophet, don't just shut them off. Listen to them. Do not despise prophesyings. Listen to them. But he does not stop there. He says, despise not prophesyings, but instead, prove all things. That word prove is an invitation for us to test those people, to test their spirit, to test their teachings. He says, prove all things, and after proving, hold fast that which is good. And by the Bible inviting us to hold fast that which is good, it simply invites us to also let go of all that is evil. Now, it is undebatable that there can only be the true or false. There's no middle ground with God. Jesus himself said, he that is not with me is against me. So one cannot be, you know, a prophet of God and then there are some things that really disqualify him from being a prophet of God. There, you know, it's it's an either or. It's, it's either one is of God or is of Satan. All the prophets that exist in the world today, and you know, the list is endless. They are either serving God or they are serving Satan. And the Bible is the sole test that can tell us whose servant one is. Now, the big question we have is how can we tell the true from the false? What is the test? Now, for Christians, our sole guide is the Bible. Therefore, what does the Bible say is the test of a true prophet? You see, when you read Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, the gospel prophet Isaiah offers us a solution. He tells us where to turn to. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, the Bible says, to the law and to the testimony. And this is a phrase that means the Holy Scriptures. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. If they speak not according to this word, all must be tested by the word. The word of God, as well as his law, is the litmus. Now, before we examine the biblical test, here is a principle that I would like us to have in mind. It is written in relation to the law of God in James chapter 2 and verse 10, that whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. I'm sure you've ever heard of that. Yes, you may be keeping most of the commandments or, you know, some of them, but as long as you are breaking one of them and you're not keeping all of them, you're guilty of all of them. In other words, God has this rule of all or none. And I believe this is the same principle that applies to the test of a true prophet. It cannot be that, you know, he, 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 he's okay with most of the tests, but just this one. Or, you know, he just passes some of the tests. It cannot be so. One has to qualify all of the biblical tests. And you see, the reason as to why this is so is because the devil is a smart liar. The devil does not come to us with an outright error, with an 100% deception. Instead, he comes with 90%, actually 99.999% truth, and then just 1% of error, and that turns the whole story upside down. And so we cannot fall for 
um, someone who just comes and they're like, um, yes, I'm a true prophet, and they just pass most of the tests and not all of them. No, one has to qualify all of the tests. And therefore, I'd like to invite you as we look into the biblical tests of the true prophet. And as we have seen, we are to go to the word of God. It's not about what I think or my opinion about this person or how nice he is or how well he speaks or the mighty things he does. But it's about what does the Bible say? Is he in harmony with that? If not, he's not of God. Now we're going to look at some of the divinely appointed tests of one who claims the gift of prophecy. And anyone, anyone who claims to have the gift of prophecy, they ought to be subjected to this test. Are you a follower of a people who believe in a prophet? The question should be, do they pass all of these tests? If not, God convicts us what to do. I'd like us to begin with the first test. There are seven in number and we look at each one of them. They're not all inclusive, but at least they are some of the most basic tests that we meet in scripture as you study through. The first test is a true prophet must speak according to the word of God. As we have read previously, Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20, that to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Therefore, the prophets ought to speak according to the word of God. A prophet is one who is sent of God, and God does not contradict himself. In fact, when you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40, that is verse 32, the Bible says that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, prophet Moses, prophet Elijah cannot say one thing that contradicts another who was also sent of God. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. They're in harmony because they are sent by the same person who is God and therefore they, they ought to be in harmony. So when one claims to be a prophet, they ought to be subject to the word of God. You see, the scripture which is referred to as the law and the testimony, that is the law and the prophets, must be honored as the great source of all spiritual truth. When God called Jeremiah, when you read in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 7, the words that God said to Jeremiah were, you shall go to all that I shall send you, and anything that I command you, that you shall speak. So a true prophet speaks for God. And he must speak the gospel truth, the plain truth as it is in Jesus. One cannot be sent of God and yet contradict some of the most plain declarations of the word of God. Test number two. A true prophet lifts up Christ. This is amazing. I'd like you to read a text in the Bible, another text where we are told that there would be false prophets in the last days. And the good thing with God, God just God does just not tell us, you know, there are going to be false prophets coming and then leaves us like that. But he tells us there are going to be false prophets coming and this is how you will know I did not send them. Let's read 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 2. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 2. The Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, 
because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So the Bible tells us that, you know, there would be, and notice, it doesn't say there will be false prophets, but it repeats time and again that there would be many false prophets. And how we are to know whether they are sent of God or not is that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. In other words, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which is the great theme of the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is something that a true prophet cannot dismiss. As it is written, Jesus himself said of himself that I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And see, the reason as to why a true prophet magnifies Jesus Christ, a true prophet, uh, you know, speaks the true gospel and tells of the redemption story, how Christ came, that he came to die for us, and the cross, you know, is, is lifted up, is so that the world can be drawn to Christ himself. You see, on the contrary, false prophets do not exalt Christ. Instead, they exalt themselves. They actually draw people to themselves. Notice what Paul um, said in the book of um, Acts chapter 20 and verse 30. This is what we are told. Um, Acts chapter 20 and verse 30. The Bible says, this is Paul speaking, and he says, For I know this, that after my departing, Shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock? I'm, I'm reading from verse 29. Notice he uses the same terminology that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. That beware of false prophet, for many shall come in sheep's clothing, but they are ravening wolves. And so he says, after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock? Verse 30, he says, also of your own selves. Shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them? So anyone who is not sent of God, chiefly, they draw people to themselves instead of drawing people to Christ. They draw people and disciples away from the believers to themselves. And so you will find every single person who comes in the name of a prophet, they actually have separated from some people. Um, you know, it's as a result of, it brings discord and disunity. And at the end of the day, um, we have multitudes of followers of people who claim to be prophets. But Jesus tells us that they who are sent by him draw people to him, to Christ. Because Christ is the center of their teachings. Christ is the center of their dealings. Christ is the center of their lives. On to test number three. A true prophet magnifies the law. A true prophet magnifies the law. Now, if you read about the coming of Jesus, 
Christ came to fulfill one of the things that prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 21. And this is a prophecy that is related to Christ's role of coming as far as the law was concerned. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 21, the Bible says, The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. So the coming of Christ was going to honor the law, was going to magnify the law. And in fact, when you check out, um, you know, the Sermon of Christ on the Mount, when you read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he said this, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And then he said, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So Jesus magnified the law. And here we're talking about the Ten Commandments. And just like Jesus came to magnify the law and make it honorable, not to destroy it, but to fulfill, every true prophet of God must honor the law of God. And even more, they are to encourage obedience to all the Ten Commandments. And why do I say all? It cannot be some, because the Bible tells us, James chapter 2, verse 10, we read that text earlier, that anyone who keeps the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So anyone who claims to be a true prophet, to be a prophet sent of God, they are too in their lives, in their teachings, in their dealings to honor the law of God. This is exactly what the prophets did in the Bible. And I just want to cite an example, Prophet Elijah. Prophet Elijah called the people's attention to the commandments of God. When you read in 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 13, this was the message that he gave. He said, Turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes. This was the message of God to his people through prophet Elijah. As we have seen, Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20 tells us to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, then there is no light in them. And therefore in the Bible, we clearly see a prophet of God is in harmony with the law of God. They teach the law of God and they encourage obedience towards it. And we all know the Ten Commandments. And let me just share this freely, that this is one of those biblical tests that majority of the prophets in the world today falter upon. When you consider the Ten Commandments, especially the Fourth Commandment is the most controverted. People discourage obedience towards it because, you know, there's the whole argument about which is the Sabbath day, which one is not. And people are like, you know, Jesus removed that commandment. But if you ask them, should we kill? I will tell you no. Should we steal? No. Should we um, take God's name in vain? No. But the fourth commandment has a problem. And therefore, it's something that needs uh, deep consideration because if someone claims to be a prophet sent of God, then they are to encourage obedience, not just to most of the commandments, but to all of the commandments. I'll close with this text on this test. In Lamentation chapter 2 verse 9, the Bible shows us something interesting, that one cannot be called of God. One cannot claim to be a prophet of God 
and yet they disregard the law of God. And you see, I've had some people who claim to have received uh, their visions when they were having bang and doing all stuff that is in, you know, contrary to God's will. And um, their whole lifestyle is not in harmony with God's will. How can such a person be a prophet of God? In Lamentation chapter 2 verse 9, the Bible tells us something interesting. Lamentation chapter 2 and verse 9. This is what it says. Her gates are sunk into the ground. He hath destroyed and broken her, her, her bars. Her king and her princes are among the Gentiles. Then notice this part. The law is no more. Her prophets also find no vision from the Lord. When the law is no more, the prophets find no vision from the Lord. And therefore, one who is a true prophet magnifies the law. He honors the law and encourages people to obey the Ten Commandments. Of course, not by their power, but by depending upon Christ. On to the fourth test. A true prophet, and of course we know prophets make predictions, right? Those predictions are fulfilled. In other words, the predictions of a true prophet are fulfilled. Now, it's God's attribute alone to declare things to come. In other words, only God can tell the future accurately. In Isaiah chapter 41, um, I'd like us to read this text. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 22 through 24, we find that attribute of God brought forth. The Bible says, Let them bring them forth and shew us what shall happen. Let them shew the former things, what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things for to come. Shew the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Behold, um, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught, an abomination is he that chooseth you. So idols, all that is not God, cannot shew the former things and the things that are to come. And so this is just an attribute of God. It's the one feature, you know, one of the many features that distinguish the true God from all false gods. And so with the false prophets. In other words, if you want to know a false prophet, one will come and say, you know, God has uh, declared this, it shall come to pass. And if that time comes and it does not pass, it simply means that thing did not come from God. And you see, in, in, in the recent past, we have had a lot of people coming up with predictions, especially with our election in the United States. There are many prophets who said Trump was going into a second term and, you know, and all of that. And when it came to pass that Joe Biden was the one who was elected in, many people, many false prophets suffered in terms of their movement a lot of people stopped following them because their prediction did not come to pass and so it's almost natural that if one predicts something and it does not come to pass we're like you know no this guy is probably not a prophet as he claims to be now only the true prophet can predict and it come to pass Notice what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 21 and verse 22. Deuteronomy chapter 18, 
verse 21 and verse 22. The Bible says, And if thou say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? In other words, it's the same question we're asking. How shall I know this guy is sent of God and this guy is not sent of God? Then, this is what the Bible says, verse 22. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. So if a prophet speaks something in the name of the Lord, that thing does not come to pass, then he spoke it by himself presumptuously. But if a prophet declares something and it comes to pass, then that thing is of the Lord. Elsewhere, you will notice um, the prophet Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah chapter 28 and verse 9, repeating something similar. Jeremiah 28 and verse 9. Jeremiah 28 and verse 9. Uh, this is what the Bible says. Jeremiah 28 verse 9. The prophet which prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. So if one will speak something and it comes to pass, then we know that person was sent by God. Now, I'd like to pause there and help us be mindful of one thing. You see, in the Bible, it's interesting to note that there was one who was sent of God, but what they declared would come to pass did not come to pass. And therefore, there is an exception that I would like us to consider. And the name of that prophet was the prophet Jonah. If you would turn with me to the book of Jonah. Um, the book of Jonah, when you read um, just the first chapter, Jonah chapter 1 uh, and verse 1, we see the call of Jonah. And he's told, uh, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So clearly we see God calling Jonah. So, you know, he's a prophet. He's called of God. He's sent of God. And um, the Bible, of course, goes ahead and shows us how Jonah decided to go the other way around. And... Um, God gives Jonah the call a second time. Um, and this we see in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And what was the preaching? Uh, you will notice when you read um, in verse 4, Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, "Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be, dis you know, shall be overthrown." So that was the message that God gave Jonah, and this message did not just come in that sense, but God had given this message such that it was based, it was conditioned upon repentance. If the people of Nineveh would turn away from their evil deeds and turn back and return to God, then God would not overthrow their city in those 40 days. But if they would not hearken to God's call, 
then they would be destroyed. Now, if you read to the close of that book, uh, you know, it's a very small book, four chapters. When you read in chapter four, of course, chapter three towards the end shows how this people turned into, you know, they repented. Um, they, they wore sackcloths and sat in ashes and then they repented. And man and beast, the Bible says how all were weeping mightily to God. And now, what did God do? Verse 10 of Jonah chapter 3, And God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he has said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. So we see God reverted his word in terms of, Yes, he was to destroy them if they would not repent. But because they repented, God did not destroy them. But our picture, he is the prophet, Jonah. Jonah has preached. He has preached. He will be destroyed in 40 days. And because of Jonah's preaching, this is a bit funny. Jonah was displeased that God did not destroy Nineveh. And actually, when you read in chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says, Jonah prayed unto God and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before Tashish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. And he's like, you know, was this not why I did not want to come? Because I was just going to come and then you wouldn't destroy these people and then they would see me as a false prophet. Now, he says in verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And Jonah was very angry because people would see him as a false prophet because he predicted that the city would be destroyed in 40 days, and it wasn't. But I want us to consider this, that the prophecy that Jonah was given, the prediction that Jonah was given, was conditioned upon repentance. And therefore, it's possible that one is a true prophet of God, and yet if they make a prediction, a prediction that is clearly conditioned upon something, and it does not come to pass, we do not dismiss such a person that they are not a true prophet, but they are a false prophet, because what they claimed did not come to pass. I really hope that that point is clear, because it's one of the exceptions that people always disregard and so all in all that does not dismiss the fact that the predictions that are made by a true prophet ought to come to pass and that is to be inclusive of any conditions that are attached to the prediction on to test number five a true prophet produces good fruits now, remember what I shared earlier? God does not just warn us, false prophets are coming, and then leaves us to figure out and to gaze what we're supposed to do. No. God is so amazing. He tells us, guys, they're going to be false prophets. But this is how you will know whether I sent them or not. Now, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. That was the first text that we read that mentioned of false prophets, Christ's warning. Now, he did not just warn but he showed how we can tell whether they are of God or of Satan. Matthew chapter 7, we'll read verse 15 and verse 16. The Bible says, 
Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or of thistles? And then verse 17, he says, every, Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. You see, the result of the influence of a true prophet, as well as the spirit of their teaching, must be such that produces good fruits. Um, the fruits of a prophet are to be in harmony with what the Bible has already shown us, the fruits of the Spirit of God are. If someone may be wondering, what are the fruits of, you know, the, 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 the fruits? What does Jesus mean by, ye shall know them by their fruits? And the Bible tells us what the fruit of the Holy Spirit um, is. When you read in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, the Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Therefore, the works of the true prophet are to reveal these fruits. There is no halfway work in the matter. One has to manifest these things. And the spirit with which they work, the spirit with which they deal with people, has to reveal this fruit. On to test number six, which is our second last test. A true prophet edifies the church. A true prophet edifies the church. Now, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll read verse 3 and verse 4, Paul speaks of something in this regard. This is what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3 and verse 4. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself but he that prophesieth edifieth the church so one who is a prophet of god edifies the church builds up the church unifies the church you see through prophets god strengthens and builds up the church when you read in Gal that is in Ephesians chapter four verse um, eleven through thirteen, um, it it tells us the reason as to why people are given this gifts of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter four verse eleven through thirteen, the Bible says the reason as to why people um, you know some are prophets is that we may all come in the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me just read it from verse 11. It says, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, which is the church. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in other words, a true prophet must prepare people to meet the Lord, just as John the Baptist did. Uh, when you read in Luke chapter 1 verse 17, John uh, John John the Baptist, his work, 
was preparing people to meet Jesus. The Bible tells us how um, how he was to go in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So a true prophet won't cause discord, but they will seek to bring about harmony. As the Bible tells us that if we follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So a true prophet edifies the church. On to the last um, biblical test that we cover in this session. It's a very broad one and I want us to be very keen on this because it's another test that is highly neglected. Test number seven. A true prophet must have this condition while in vision. You know, prophets receive visions. And um, actually, when you read in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 6, God says that if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. Therefore, a prophet is one who receives visions and dreams. Prophets... Um, um, you know, receive these visions and uh, the Bible even tells us how where there is no vision, the people perish. And so God has always, um, you know, had the gift of prophecy through um, the different eras of, of, of humanity. Back, way back, the first of all prophets was Enoch. I don't know if you know that, but when you read in the book of Jude, um, the book of Jude tells us how in verse 14, that Jude, the, that is Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of some things. So Enoch was the first prophet. And all the way down, we see prophets through different eras, through different times, because where there is no vision, the people perish, and God would have his people, his will revealed to the people. That's why Amos chapter 3 verse 7 says that surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Considering the word of God, we see consistency in the physical manifestations of a prophet while in vision. And I want us to consider what would happen. Reading Numbers chapter 24 and verse 4, notice what would happen when a prophet would be in vision. Numbers chapter 24 and verse 4, the Bible tells us, um, and this is speaking of the prophet um, Balaam. The Bible says, Balaam said, verse 4, he had said, which had the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. So one of the physical manifestations of a prophet while in vision was that one would fall into a trance, but they would have their eyes open. And when you consider the prophet Daniel, Daniel is another prophet who received a number of visions, uh, you know, which are recorded in the book of Daniel. When you read in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 8, it also shows something else, another physical manifestation of a prophet while in vision. Chapter 10 verse 8, the Bible says, Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my calmliness was standing me into corruption, and I retained no strength. So other than one falling into a trance with their eyes open, 
they would retain no strength. Now, when you consider the same chapter, chapter 10, verse 17, something else that would happen when Daniel would be in vision is that uh, the Bible says, For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. So they would fall into a trance with their eyes open, they would retain no strength, and there would be no breath left in them. And the Bible tells us that would not just be the state that would, they would be left in, but when you read verse 18, the Bible says, Then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me, and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. So just to do a quick recap of this physical manifestation is that one would fall into a trance and then there would be no strength left in them. And then their eyes would be open, there would be no breath in them. And then they would be supernaturally strengthened. And after that, we're told they would speak without breathing, you know, no breath in them, but they would speak. So you can imagine such a state. That would be the condition of the prophets when in vision. And therefore, if one claims to receive a vision, you know, they would just, uh, and there was nothing, there was no one who can tell of the physical manifestation, in terms of how they were when they received the vision, then that wouldn't add up as far as to the call or the message that these people have, whether they are sent of God or not. And therefore, that brings us to the close of the biblical test of a true prophet that we have covered. And I just want to do a quick recap for you. One, we have seen a true prophet speaks according to the word of God. He magnifies and lifts up Jesus Christ. He magnifies the law of God. Number four, the predictions come to pass and we saw an exception. If there's a condition, that's understandable because it's biblical. Then we saw number six, a true prophet, um, you know, produces good fruits and a true prophet edifies the church. Those we can term, we can term them as the spiritual tests of a true prophet. And then there's the physical test and we've seen that a prophet uh, when in vision, they would fall into a trance and then there would be no strength left in them, yet they will be supernaturally strengthened. They would have their eyes open and they would not breathe and yet speak without breathing. My prayer is that God will help us to understand these tests more in-depthly so that as we are faced by many people coming in the name of the Lord, claiming to be prophets, we would know that this is indeed a true prophet of God and this is not. I close with the same invitation that Paul gives us, an admonition, where he says, despise not prophesying, instead prove all things and hold fast to that which is God. God bless you.